and welcome to Tiny Voice Talks with me, Toria Bono. And today, Tiny Voice is talking about LGBTQIA+. Although I haven't actually got a title yet because Ian and I haven't quite decided on the title. The title will arrive when we've figured out the entire conversation, people. So today I am joined by none other than Ian Timbrell to talk about all of this. So welcome, Ian. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited that you're here. It's taken us a while to get to this point, hasn't it? We've sort of yeah, it has. back and forth, and things have come up, and we're finally here today. We've got, we have got here in the end, and a uh, thrill to be here. And uh, I know uh, we we've talked a lot already, so uh, I know there'll be lots to talk about today. Absolutely. So, for anyone that hasn't come across you, Ian, who is Ian Timbrell? So I am a deputy head teacher in a primary school um, in the South Wales Valleys, um, originally from Bridgend. Um, I'm a, a huge grammar geek uh, and a sci-fi nerd as well. Uh, often find watching Star Trek and, and reading books about grammar. Um, I've been a teacher. Um, I was actually um, going to be a doctor originally. That was my original plan. Oh. Uh, it was, yes. And it didn't quite go to plan um, because of reasons we'll talk about later. But yes, um, and I went to teaching a bit late, but actually it was sort of where I I always should have been um mm. yeah and so and I've got an eight-year-old uh, son who I adopted a nine-year-old I keep saying eight he was he was nine two weeks ago and I have to get used to saying he's nine it's just terrifying <laughs> how, how, how the time is flying by um but yeah so um and, and I love working education I think it's amazing and, and uh, I love making a difference to those those children that need us the most really mm, absolutely so let's talk about why you didn't become a doctor because I know that all the listeners are going but I I need to know the doctor story straight off yes um so I um grew up in a town called Bridgend um which was very um sort of ex-mining um and you did what you were told boys did certain things girls did certain things it wasn't a nice place to grow up to be honest um it was um it's a lot better now um, but I never sort of felt like myself. Um, I, I was bullied quite badly in school for being gay. Um, and it's, uh, you know, this is a time of Section 28 where t- teachers couldn't really intervene because of it. Um, and it sort of progressed where I lost my identity. I, I don't feel like I really had a teenage identity. So I sort of did what everyone told me to do. I was good at science. Therefore, you go to university and you become a doctor. Um, and I sort of went to university. Um, and unfortunately, because of the bullying I'd received, uh, because of uh, several things that happened, um, uh, in, about halfway through my second university, I actually tried to take my own life. Um, and it was it was a terrifying thing too. And I'm sorry yeah. to jump down everyone, uh, but it's um, it's something that I felt as the older I've got, the more important I feel it is to talk about actually yeah. um, that part of my mental health. Um, and so I left university, um, and I sort of started my life all over again. Um, and it, it was an incredibly difficult time coming to terms with who I was. But I didn't feel I could go back to university. I felt like. I needed fresh start. Um, I actually went to work in a call center, which is uh, so different, obviously, from being a doctor. Mm. Um, but I did feel like I needed that new start. And I actually tried to find out who I was for the first time in my life. And I think that's really key, you know, discovering who we are. So growing up, were you continually trying to not be you? Or did you yeah. just have no concept of who you were? Um, I think a bit of both in a way. Um, I 
I knew that I was different from everyone yeah. else. Um, I knew that, and I remember, so it's funny, I actually tweeted, uh, for those of an age, remember Pat Sharp from Funhouse. And I remember, oh, yeah. remember, remember Pat Sharp. Well, well, I remember watching Pat Sharp and, and thinking, uh, you know, when I was about, you know, about eight and 10, thinking there were strange feelings going on that I didn't really understand. I now know exactly what those feelings were. Um, and I actually tweeted Pat Sharp the other day and he tweeted me back. It was like, oh, for an, exciting. oh, for an 80s child. It was like my 80s dream came true. Um, and he sent me those clapping emojis. And I thought, oh, I'm done. I'm done. Pat Sharp has tweeted me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, all the way through. So I got to secondary school and I was, suddenly was being bullied for being gay. Uh, and I was a, a camp kid. And so but I didn't actually know what the word gay was. I'd never heard of it. Um, mm. So I was being bullied for something that I didn't understand. And yeah. I just tried to sort of fit in and be like everyone else. Um, I, I didn't wear the clothes I wanted. I just wore what everyone else did. I mean, you know, I think there is a certain element that, that is the same today. Um, but I think hopefully I would hope it, it's not as prevalent. But then what started to happen quickly was I, I the, the bullying sort of increased and I actually complained to the school, to the secondary school. And the words of the deputy head teacher were, well, you just need to try and fit in, don't you? And those words have always stuck with me. You know, I was this 12-year-old boy who was struggling with his identity. And yeah. so I never developed my own identity. And I was, as I said in, in my introduction, I'm a massive nerd. Uh, but I love Star Trek. Um, and I didn't tell anyone. I watched it in secret because other people didn't watch it. And it was even that sort of tiny thing. I didn't want anyone to know that I was different in any way at all. Um, and it sort of started to unravel really when I got to about 16, um, when those boys that were bullying me left the school. And suddenly I was left without this reason not to be myself. But I yeah. just didn't know who I was. And I just hooked onto everyone else really. And that sort of obviously took huge toll on my mental health. I think it's so tricky, isn't it? That identity and that n wanting to be the same as other people. You know, I see children in the classes that I teach not wanting to stand out, not wanting to mm -hmm. be different, wanting to blend in. And, you know, something that we were talking about before we even press play was about the binary nature of the society that mm. we live in, that actually we live in a binary society and that's what we are placing on children from the get-go, isn't it? Well, as you know, one of the things that drives me insane is gender reveal parties. Um, oh, I understand, you yeah. know, people are thrilled to find out if they're having a boy or a girl my question to them is does it make a difference um you know why and also then and even like you know these cakes and these guns where you go the girl is pink and the boy is blue so this child hasn't even been born yet and already you are labeling them with colors it's like when you look at clothes shops and toy shops isn't it the boys yeah. section is all blue and destruction and, and the girls is all princess and unicorns and pink and fairies and we are dictating to these children that you must pick a side you must go to one one or other and if mm. those children don't identify with one of those then then what are we telling them that they're wrong you know why should we have this why shouldn't the options be available to everyone um and it, it, it is concerning that we do that before they're even born absolutely and i think you know it's it's interesting because even when they start school there is a clear understanding of what is 
female and male what are girls and boys that the girls do this and the boys do that and because you know I've had lots of discussions with reception teachers about this and the fact that actually this isn't something that is constructed in school it's already there Mm. yeah and as you say it's sort of starting from gender reveal parties where we've decided my child's a a pink child or a blue child and the child has no option to be anything else at that point so by the time they're actually four things have already been ingrained in them I think it's really important as schools we have responsibility from day one to challenge that. Yes. Uh, and I think the way that we challenge that, my belief isn't to make an issue of it, but it's just to make sure that we don't we don't create a binary in early years. Yeah. Um, you know, we were chatting earlier about an example of, you know, a fairy tale topic and, and a colleague of mine and we we've had very open discussions and, and she's happy for me to share it, where she actually planned where the girls were going to design princess dresses and the boy were going to design the prince dresses and already so we're saying to them is that the girls wear certain things and the boys are things. why can't they just design a wedding outfit you know who cares what it is i mean chances are it's gonna be covered in glitter glitter and and sequins and everything anyway whether they because they, they love that why why do we have to separate them straight away and i think it's it's really important that wherever we can remove that gender binary is really important until those children are old enough to make decisions of their own about what they like absolutely i um as i said to you before we started recording i've been working with the university of surrey on some gender lessons and and one of the other teachers is a reception teacher and you know one of the things that she's been doing is very much breaking that societal stereotype around what is male and what is female because it it helps children to understand that they don't need to be boxed up now i know some people feel uncomfortable about gender being discussed early on in school life but it's more about not labeling isn't it Absolutely. You know, and we're not saying to sit down with nursery and have a chat about uh, gender binary in, in, in society and yeah. history. You know, there's no need for that. It's just removing that binary. So it's it's not talked about and that the children, if that, you know, we, I, I think it's interesting that very often with nursery children, I'll often hear from teachers about how the boys go and wear the dresses. Very often you hear that in nursery. Yes. And it, and it does disappear very quickly. Why is that disappearing? Why is it an issue when they get older that they stop doing that? Why can't a boy wear a dress? Um, you know, it's uh, I we uh, had um, some lessons on, I studied with my class and uh, gender history. And uh, they loved it. They found it really fascinating. Um, and I wore heels for the whole thing. Um, and uh, they absolutely loved it. They were hilarious, me tottering around on these four-inch heels. I mean, mm. it's hysterical. The other members of staff in school didn't know how I could walk around in them. <laughs> um, but uh, but it was just I was just making the point of, no, yeah. this is not what I normally wear, but if I want to, then I should be able to wear them, and no one should bat an eyelid, because actually we should be able to like the things we like and wear the things we wear. It's no one else's business. Absolutely. Now, something that you said to me earlier was about the fact, well, you were talking about the history of gender and about the Mm. fact that it was all to do with colonialism, which I had no clue about. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. So obviously, um, gender binaries go back a long time before colonialism. But what the fascinating thing is that um, before the British sort of took over a lot of colonies, was many places actually had up to five genders. Um, And so and uh, places like India actually still has third gender in legislation. 
Um, so an example, Native American tribes um, ranged between two and five genders at different times. Wow. And what happened was then when the colonies came in, they brought Christianity with them and insisted that they would go down to two. Now, there's a lot of sort of theories behind this, but one of the main theories is that actually is to do with oppression of gender. Because if you've got five genders, when we think about who was in charge at this time, it was generally straight white men. And so they wanted to control, and it's far easier to control the opposite group. If there's another four mm. groups to control, that's very, very difficult. So what quickly happened in these countries is that these other genders were removed, the gender binary was introduced, and the roles of women then changed because then they were saying, well, you know, the other binary, the other gender is women, so you must wear these clothes and do these jobs and do these certain things. And it's been used as oppression. And that's why we need to separate sex and gender. You know, gender is a human construction. It's, it's, there's no basis yeah. in nature. It's completely human. Um, and unfortunately, it has been used. And there are still issues. Um, so there are some places in Indonesia where there are up to five genders as well. But there are other parts of Indonesia have two, other parts have three. And there's a lot of disagreement going on about what legal protection that they should have. What's interesting is it hasn't been as big an issue in history. It's becoming more of an issue now. And you wonder why exactly is it becoming an issue now when for, for some of these countries, hundreds and thousands of years, having these multiple genders hasn't been an issue. That's really interesting. I think it, it's really interesting what you've just said there about gender being a social construct and not a biological one because we use the word gender as if it is the biological one yeah exactly you know i am and i happen to be a biological male and i define as a man however you know and it was interesting it's going on at the moment with some quite um uh, large celebrities is that they are insisting that your gender must match your sex and that in history has not been the case. It is a very, very Western, modern idea. It is not something that has actually been found through history. Um, mm. And, you know, that it is important that we almost decouple those two things. Um, it, it is interesting when you sort of try and define what sex and gender are. They're in actually mm. much harder to define than you think. It's even they sex, really you know, are. How do, you know, how do you define it? Do you define it by chromosomes? Because if you define it by chromosomes, what happens if someone has a third chromosome then? Are they another sex? Or if you define it by sexual organs, you know, what if someone has to have a hysterectomy? Does that mean they're not female anymore? You know, um, or is it just the clothes they wear? It, it actually, it's a much harder thing than some people like to uh, like to think. Um, and, and we chat about it. it is these definitions are evolving constantly with gender, with sexuality. And that is a wonderful thing because actually they do evolve. Our society is evolving. Where we've had problems in history is where organisations um, or specific groups of society have tried to control others and prevent this change. And this is very much what is going on at the moment. So, you know, it is... I, I just hope as a society we can recognise that all these things are fluid and they're, they're not set in stone and that actually we need to just respect who people believe they are because they have the right to believe who they are. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I think what's refreshing is a year ago, perhaps, the term non-binary wasn't very widely used at all. I, I remember the very first time that I heard 
non-binary was when I was watching RuPaul's Drag Race, which for any listener mm. out there, and uh, they, you know, any regular listener knows I absolutely love RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, <laughs> But it was interesting because I heard this term non-binary and I hadn't heard the term non-binary before. And it was like, oh my goodness. Now I'm hearing that term more and more and more regularly. And that's wonderful. That's really refreshing. But I think it's a pity that you have male, female, and then non-binary. Non-binary is this sort of massive area in the middle, isn't it? Yeah. And it's that what, what we're struggling with as a society is the fact that gender is um, a fluid. It's not a one or other. It is not a binary. Um, mm. And you, you can move on. You know, I'm not as masculine as someone else. That doesn't mean I'm any less male as such. Yes. Um, I'm just in a different place on that line between male and female. You know, I'm quite, I'm quite camp at times. Uh, you know, if I'd, if I've had a glass of wine, especially, and uh, my my hands start going everywhere when I'm talking. And I, that, does that mean I'm not a man then? Because I don't mm. have all of the masculine traits. None of us have all of the traits of male and female that are traditionally, you know, put towards those genders. And I think that's where we're struggling. Society, we're realizing actually, gender is a continuum, and we're all at different points of that continuum. And at, we're actually at different points of that continuum at different times. I'm very much at different places with different people. If I'm in a, a in a gay bar with my gay friends. I'm behaving in different ways to how I'd be in front of a class, for example, or with my yes. parents. But actually, where I am on that continuum changes from a day-to-day basis as well. That's really interesting. One of the lessons I did with my children, actually, um, was using T-shirts. Now, go with me on this. Um, basically, I provided children with different T-shirts, and I said to them, you know, w- would this be worn by a male or a female? And actually, it was trying to get that idea that they're not binary. You know, T-shirts are not binary. We are not binary. And actually, there's that fluidity around um, gender, as we were talking, and that, but trying to do it through the T-shirts analogy as such. And it worked really well because children began to actually say, oh, well, actually, <clears throat> you know, my dad wouldn't wear that, but my brother would, and I might wear that, but my mum wouldn't. And they began to go through and talk about t-shirts in a different way and then and recognize that there was no binary way to it and that actually there was there was a fluidity. Um, yeah, I don't um, know if I've made my, Yeah. Yeah, my, my boyfriend uh, has got quite a few um, women's jumpers, for example. Mm. Um, or should I say, jumpers from the women's section um, yes. and he's very confident and he's actually he's actually not camp he's you know many people don't know he's gay just from talking to him um, but he's so comfortable with his gender that he's more than happy to go in the women's section and I have never been mm. able to do that and then so he, he sent me a challenge for me to do it and I thought do you know what I, I need to practice what I preach forget my yeah. issues because they're all rooted in my childhood issues from being bullied in school and things so I went to Tesco and I, I went in and I picked I saw a jumper in the women's section I loved it and I was with my son and even my, you know, my nine-year-old said to me, why are we in the girls section? I went, oh, because I like that jumper. And he went, yeah. okay. that was it. That was literally all I had to say. And I picked it up. The nerves I had taking that jumper to the changing rooms were incredible. And how wrong a society is that, that me as a gay man felt nervous picking up a woman's jumper trying. And actually, do you know what? It looks fabulous. Um, so, uh, and it's going to be something. But do you know what's interesting? Yeah. 
What's interesting though is in in a sense, it's much easier for a female to go into a male the male department mm. and grab something than a male to come into a female. Yeah, really sorry, that's just sort of dawned on me. Yeah, but, now, but no, but you, I you look in to... history. Yeah. So I was yeah. gonna say in history that happens and, and it's far more accepted. So, you know, you've got like like Rita Sackville uh, West, who's a poet. Uh, Gwen Lowry yeah. was an actress. They were wearing women's clothes at the time. They were really famous, and it was absolutely fine. If a man yeah. did the same, he was seen as a, a drag or um, a, a transvestite. And so, yeah, yes. it, it, you're you're absolutely right. It is far easier. Yeah, fascinating. Now, I want us to go on to terminology, and I want us to go on to terminology around sexual identity. Um, so. We've got LGBTQIA+. And I was talking to someone about this yeah. the other day. And they went, oh, my God, like, there's so many letters now. And it's like, <laughs> and, it's, and, and it's because th- th- people are identifying in so many different ways with regards to their own sexuality, aren't they? They are. And, you know, I, I tend to use LGBTQIA+. Um, but um, if, if I'm writing, for example, very often I'll shorten that to LGBT+, not to yeah. diminish the other ones. And sometimes you'll see LGBTQ+. Um, yeah. None of them are right and wrong. And that's really important. You know, I'd say to anyone, don't panic about the plus is there to include all of the others. So, for example, yeah. if I use LGBT+, that is including QI. A and any other types of sexualities because there are lots of other sexualities as well that aren't yeah. in that list. Um, so I, I wouldn't worry too much. Where the issue comes is where people start to leave out specific ones, for instance, leaving out the T, for example, and just saying LGB and stopping there. Yes. And that's where, you know, that's why that plus is there is an inclusive symbol to, in, you know, welcome all genders and sexualities into that community. So let's talk about, if you don't mind, actually, I'm going to just hand over to you to actually talk about the definitions of each one. Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Um, And the first thing I would say is these are my definitions. And um, each one has been done with a lot of research, but you may very well see slightly different ones. And I'm more than happy to have discussion. And I was chatting, we were chatting earlier, when I uh, did a blog post a few weeks ago on this, I had someone tweet me and challenge me on my definition of intersex. And we had a really good exchange on Twitter. And I've left that public for people to see. It's important to realise that we are all learning. Actually, in my blog post at the end, I went, I bet in five years I'll rewrite this because it'll all change. And that's yeah. the nature of these terms. So I'm going to go through them. But just I think it's for everyone to bear in mind that these are mine. And I am learning all the time, just like we are. Um, so L, of course, is lesbian, which interesting. Most people find the easiest to um, determine, which is generally accepted as a woman who's sexually attracted to other women. Um, mm-hmm. And in my definition, I would also include trans women within that. Um, and then you have gay, um, which generally obviously is used for um, um, men who are attracted to other men, but it can also be used by lesbians. So some women prefer to use the terminology of them being gay because they feel that um, lesbian comes with negative connotations and quite a stereotypical view. So you might have some women who use both, um, but you might have some who just use gay. And then we have bisexual, which traditionally was defined as someone who is attracted to men and women. Of course, we're talking about fluidity of a gender spectrum here. So actually, that is becoming a bit more difficult for some people. So it has a bit of overlap with pansexual. 
And pansexual is just someone who's attracted to all genders and sexes. And then we have um, transgender. Um, now, previously, it would have been known as transsexual, but that's now a politically incorrect term because it's not to do with their sex, it's to do with their gender. Um, and it basically right. is someone whose gender does not match the sex they were assigned at birth. The gender is the important thing because there is a huge misconception that a lot of people, every transgender person has to undergo gender reassignment surgery. And that is not the case. In fact, many transgender people never have the surgery because it's about living with the gender of who they feel they are. Um, so that's far more important than what's underneath their clothes. Um, mm. And then we have the term queer, which is a very interesting one uh, because it was used as a very pejorative, um, offensive term previously, but it's like being reclaimed um, by the, you know, the community um, as other communities have reclaimed other words. Um, but basically it just is, your sexual orientation does not align with traditional male, female. So it can include gays, lesbian, bisexual, pansexual, um, or someone can describe themselves as queer who says, Do you know what, I don't fit into any of those brackets because I yeah. move between them all the time. And very often. And I have started to use the word queer about myself, but I still, it's a tiny bit triggering because of bullying I've had. So I'm struggling with it a bit uh, with myself, but I'm more than happy for others to identify because, you know, they, people should be able to identify how they feel and then we've got intersex um which is someone whose sex characteristics this is their physical characteristics don't fall into the strict female and male binary um this can be if the, their genitals their organs or the hormones aren't the same and it can also be if someone doesn't have for instance xx or xy chromosomes so some people may have three chromosomes um and the interesting thing about intersex is a lot of intersex people will never ever know because if your chromosomes are different, the only way you'll know is if you have a chromosomal analysis. So actually, a lot of intersex people will never find out um, these things. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Um, and then we've got asexual. And this is someone who does not have sexual feelings. Um, it can have incredibly fulfilling relationships and marriages and children. Um, but they don't have that sexual drive that other people. This is very different. Some people mix this up with celibate, whereas celibacy is a choice asexuality is that a person does not have those sexual feelings um, and the last one is the plus and this is all of those before included and anyone who feels that their sexuality doesn't fit in we've got new terminology evolving but and you know it, the symbol very much acknowledges that it is a very extensive list already and we could keep adding until cows come out but actually to make it more manageable that plus symbol is accepting that there are others that will be added um, and that we welcome everyone into that community. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that that has just been so useful, you going through that terminology, because it is tricky, you know, getting those terms right and knowing, um, you know, I'm a heterosexual woman. Using those terms correctly is important to me. I want to get it right um and but as you say as well it's important to ask people what they want to be well is it i don't know quite how to put this it's important that i don't label it's important to allow people to label themselves and, and then i use that label does that absolutely that yeah 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 absolutely and that's the thing whether that's gender sexuality or anything you know no one has the right to call me queer unless I am comfortable with the term. Yes. And I am not comfortable with the term. So if you describe me as queer, 
that is offensive. You know, you are being offensive. Um, mm-hmm. It's the same as pronouns. You know, if someone wants to identify themselves as they, that is entirely in their rights to do so. And yeah. everyone should respect that. No one else has the right to define who anyone else is with any of the protective characteristics. You know, that's one of the reasons that these protective characteristics exist is because equality is so important um, and everyone should feel welcome. And so it's important that we all respect how each other feel and, and how we all identify. Absolutely. Now, I could continue chatting <laughs> to you about this for ages, but I feel, do you know what I feel? I feel I need you to have you on again, Ian, to discuss, you know, other aspects that are really important to get right as teachers. I feel that this is the first of many conversations for us because this is about actually the history of the words, why they're there, the history of gender, sexuality, and so on, and actually getting the terminology right. But I want you back on to talk about more. Would that be okay? I'd love that because I think you're exactly right. And I think, but I think this this conversation is very important and when I deliver yeah. training on gender this is actually where I start I don't start with the classroom I start with the base knowledge uh, of the teachers and the teaching staff and support staff and office staff everyone I uh, think it's really important so I would love to come back on to it it's been a, it's been a pleasure talking to you but I know yeah we have a lot more things to talk about so listeners what I would ask you is that you get in touch with myself or Ian and let us know what you want to know if that makes sense. What do you want us to discuss? What do you want me to ask Ian so that he can explain it to me so that we can get it right, if that makes sense? Because I think, gosh, yes, if we can be having these conversations on here, Ian, all the better, really. Absolutely. That, uh, I'd be more than welcome that. And, you know, um, and for any, as a contact, either of us, so it'd be a pleasure because at the end of the day, if we can get these things right and, and help some of these children who are struggling with these things, that's, that's why we're in this job, isn't it? That's why we do this yeah. career to help these children. Absolutely. So before I let you go this time, Ian, I need to know the answer to my final question. <laughs> if you could have been taught by anyone living or dead who would have been your perfect teacher so as I think everyone says on your podcast how hard this question is you really mm. have picked a good question to finish the podcast now when I was in school um I hated art I I always say and I tell my class I can't draw um a stick man with that stencil um and and I hated it in school um however what I would have loved is to have someone inspirational to do it. And the person I would mm. pick for two reasons uh, would be to try and get me into art would be Frida Kahlo. Um, oh, you know, yes. such, Love Frida. Such incredible. You know, because what she did through her art as well was talk about all, lots of these things that we've talked about and about society and politics. And I think I would have been so into Even if I was rubbish at the art, I think I would have loved just listening to talk about all these wonderful things and her incredible life. So absolutely. Yeah. And, and if she can't get me into art, then no one can. I love that. I really do. And and Frida, just one of my favorite, favorite inspirational people. So she'd definitely be welcome in the Tiny Voice Taught School. Ian, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me about labels and so on. You know, it's so important, gender, sexuality, getting it right as teachers in the classroom. And I look forward to our next conversation. So thank you. It's brilliant. Thank you for having me, Toya. 
crazy.